Please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4. As I have the opportunity to preach on Sunday mornings, I'm continuing through the book of Proverbs. And like every other part of the scriptures, Jesus warned us to consider God's word. He, can, he warned us not to live for bread alone, not to live for the food that perishes, but to draw life, to feed upon every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, including this passage in Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Our God and Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that your word is the means by which we know you. We trust you. We grab hold of your promises, Father. You have revealed yourself, your will for mankind in your word. We can examine it. We can handle it. We could look at it. We could turn it over. Father, you have given us your revelation to know you and to find joy. Father, I pray, Lord, your spirit would plant these words deeply into the hearts of the listeners here, or alternately, Lord, would make absolutely clear that the eternal destiny that each one of us is facing, Father, is either with you or to be separated you from, from eternity, from all eternity. Father, we pray that you would show yourself, glorify your son, Jesus Christ, that you would do this as we pray in his name, amen. Well, orange juice. So it's something that some of us like, some of us don't like, but think about orange juice and where does orange juice come from? Of course, it comes from an orange, like most fruit. But the juice doesn't flow unless pressure is applied to the orange, unless it's squeezed. And of course, there's some fruits that you don't necessarily squeeze to get juice out of it, like a banana, but you're applying pressure to the fruit. You're applying pressure to get, to get the juice, to get what you want. And the juice comes from the orange, The orange has to be squeezed, and hence the question comes, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is the effort that needs to be put in to getting 
the juice or the cost that it, it requires, is it worth it? Is it worth it? If you like juice, then you're willing to pay a price. It may not be you doing the squeezing. It may be somebody you're paying to have that juice show up in your glass, but there's a cost involved. But what if you don't like juice? Or what if you don't know that juice is something good for you and you should be enjoying it? Then you won't be squeezing the fruit. You won't be putting in any effort. You won't be paying any price to get this juice because you just don't think it's necessary. But, but this is more than about juice. It has something more to do with you and I at a more fundamental level. But we know that the businesses invest millions of dollars, lots of money to create an appetite for what? For their juice. They want you to want their product, their thing. So they do all sorts of things to create this perception of value that what they offer is the thing you need. And if you don't get it, you're going to be left out. So they create an appetite through advertising. Well, this happens all around us on many levels. And I know how easy it is to go to Amazon. I know how easy it is to go ahead and put another thing in my cart and do the checkout. It's just so easy. And you see these, these Amazon trucks and vans. They're just all over the place. They're all over the place. And what's one of the slogans that you see on the van? Contents may cause happiness. The contents of that van, of that box you're about to open, might bring you happiness. It may cause happiness, but at the end of the day, what if it doesn't cause happiness? What if this thing you thought you wanted actually turns out to be not the thing you really need? And rather than just order another one and order another one and order another one, you're recognizing, I'm pursuing the wrong things. I this juice is not worth the squeeze. I need to find something better. I need to find some other way. And these questions, these are the questions that Proverbs chapter 4 is going to unearth. So as we, as we look more deeply into the Word of God, I pray that we would all see what is it we really need and how can we find it? What's the juice that we absolutely need and what's the cost to get that juice? As I began a series in Proverbs back in November, we, we worked our way through it. We looked at what is the fear of God versus the fear of man. We looked at relationships in the Proverbs. We looked at what does it mean to live in a relationship with the covenant God, with the triune God. And now we're looking at, at the cost of a, of a relationship. We're looking more closely at relationships and we're looking in chapter four. And it, these first nine verses divide up really neatly. You look at the first four verses, really three and a half, midway between verse, in verse four, and you see an introduction. You see a father speaking to a son, and you see an introduction to the message. And then right in the middle of verse four, where you see the quotation marks begin, uh, in the ESV, let your heart hold fast, you're gonna see the content of this message, the content. And in both cases, first we'll see that the quality of the juice is determined by the source, where it comes from. The source is absolutely critical to get the highest quality. But then we're going to look at how the value of the juice is found 
and the squeezing. That's where it's going to get interesting. So I want you to keep that in mind as we continue through this. But we're going to look first at the introduction. See, the introduction reveals the source of the message. And it begins with a familiar invitation. We've seen this same pattern in the Proverbs of a, a father speaking to a son, of a mother speaking to a daughter, a parent to a child, one who is older speaking to one who is younger, the one who is wise to the one who is simple. And we see in the first verse, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Why should you be attentive? That you may gain insight. The New King James, you might notice, or the Legacy Standard Bible, instead of that last verb to gain insight, they just translate it in the, really the most simple sense because that's what the Hebrew renders, is just the word to know, to know insight. And you might think, well, what's the difference between knowing something and gaining that knowledge? What's the difference between knowing it and gaining it? And I'll tell you that the difference is found in the test that you undergo. So the difference between knowing, just knowing it academically and then knowing it, is going to be found in the test. It's amazing to think how smart I am right before I take an exam. But then when I get the grade back, then I realize, okay, Maybe I'm not as smart as I think. Maybe I didn't study as hard as I should have. And I could come up with all sorts of excuses why. Well, the professor wasn't absolutely clear on what I should have been studying. Or, or they threw in a, a curveball and I just wasn't expecting it. I can have all sorts of reasons why. But that grade reveals with absolute clarity whether I think I know it or whether I've actually gained that knowledge, the two of them. See, the bottom line is, did all of my preparations yield the best possible result? I could blame all sorts of reasons why I didn't test well, all right? I didn't make it through that trial as well as I should have. But at the end of the day, what was I trusting? Was I trusting myself or was I trusting the Lord? See, there's a bigger idea did I value something more than gaining the knowledge and the insight that I needed to prepare myself for the test? So you see in Proverbs, the parent is giving good precepts, verse 2. But he warns the child, do not forsake my teaching. To forsake the father's teaching, the parent's teaching, is to look to another source. It's to look to yourself or to look to a competitor who is offering something seemingly of better value, but it's not. And the practice of your life is going to reveal where your trust is. Your practice, your experience, that's going to reveal where you have ultimately placed your trust. The book of James says that you and I are only deceiving ourselves when we are hearers only and not doers when what we think we know is not coming out through our lives, through the things that we do. The father goes on to explain that his instruction didn't start with him. There was another source. He's not the ultimate source of this instruction. And in verse 3, 
You see, when I was a son, the father says, with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. So the father is pointing to his father, that his father was the source of that instruction. It was passed down through the generations. See, not everyone has the blessing, though, of a godly father or mother. And, and for some, you may be like, like the first generation coming through just a series of generations of difficulty and trauma and adversity. So not everybody has the blessing of having a godly father and mother. But just because you don't have it doesn't mean you can't find it. Just because you lack something doesn't mean it shouldn't be valued and you shouldn't find a way to get that. The scriptural pattern that we see through the Old and New Testament is that of the, the generations passing on wisdom, passing on understanding, passing on knowledge. And our culture is sometimes highly dismissive of generations. We all wanna be individuals, we all wanna do it our own way, and yet we're copying somebody else as we think we're doing it our own way. We're, everybody is following somebody, everybody is following somebody. There's no original knowledge Everything is derivative because we're created in the image of a God and we're created to ultimately need him more than anyone else. Generally, the, the whiter a person's hair, the more white a person's hair, the more wise that person should be. Now, that's not necessarily true in every case. And if I happen to have a lot of white hair and I'm not reflecting wisdom, then I am showing that I've trusted in someone else to do what's right. I am, so I'm, I'm being exposed. But just because I'm exposed as a failure doesn't mean there's not hope. Doesn't mean there's not another opportunity to turn. See, by faith in Jesus Christ, every member of New Life in Christ Church is connected to every other member of the body of Christ. Within the covenant community of New Life in Christ Church, you can find godly parents. You can find those that have gained knowledge and gained insight and developed wisdom through their study, through their experiences, and that is available. So even if you, even if you had the best parents on earth, you can have more godly parents through the body of Christ. This is the source of the wisdom that God wants to pour out and show. And this is the place where you can look. You don't have to settle for commentaries. You don't have to settle for other people or podcasts or videos or all sorts of other things. All of those things could be helpful, but they are such a small reflection of what a true relationship what a true relationship to a wiser, older person can be that you could learn through not just what they know, but also what they've experienced and the wisdom that they've developed over time. See, we have this opportunity through our care groups. We have this opportunity through children's ministries, through men and women and the fellowship that we have in study. Yesterday, Talents to Treasures met in this building and was scattered in a number of rooms throughout this building. And women teaching other women, older women teaching younger women. And this wisdom is passed on through life on life experiences. 
And you say, well, I was busy yesterday. All right, well then find somebody, find another person, begin to develop that relationship. Invest in a particular ministry, in the particular life of a person, and you'll find that the Lord will bless through his body, through the body of Christ. It's not something you have to do individually or on your own. So in verse 4, as it continues, we see three generations right here. We see a father sharing the wisdom that was given from his father to his son. He taught me and said to me, a father in faith, Moses, records in the book of Genesis how God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them in Genesis 1.27. The image reflects the character of our God, his knowledge, his righteousness, his holiness. And Proverbs is all about gaining wisdom, which is the right use or the exercise of knowledge, and the best means to accomplish them. See, just accumulating information is not going to win the day. You need to apply that wisdom for the particular situation in which you're living. The true wisdom that we're seeking is the wisdom of God. He is the source of all wisdom, and he speaks most clearly through his word. Romans 11 verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. And then in James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Is there anyone here that's lacking wisdom? I guarantee you some of us are going through such difficult trying situations we need wisdom ask God and rely on the means that he has provided to give wisdom so knowing the source is important okay so I know that the word of God is important I know the source is important that's that's the first step that's only the first step an important second step is the process of how to obtain wisdom how to do it in verse verse 4 in the middle of verse 4, begins, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. You see the transition from mere information to a relationship. We see a metaphor of God's wisdom as, as a female and the young man being presented that this is the prized woman you should be looking for, you should be pursuing her, you should be doing everything you can to gain her hand. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. This is the promise that the father shares with the son, that the mother shares to the daughter, and this has been passed on through generations. This isn't just some good advice for a Hebrew boy who lived 900 years before Jesus. 
This counsel is what every single one of us need. In a sense, this is the juice that we need. We need this. It's the juice that comes in our covenant relationship with the triune God. It's insight, it's life, it's protection, and it's honor. We see in verse 1, it's the insight that we need to gain in order to know right from wrong, to make the right decision in the situation that we're in. And all of us are in situations that are going to challenge us and maybe are challenging us right now. We need insight to know how should we take that next step. But it's also life in verse 4. It's the life that's given to you so you can live an abundant life. You can live life to the fullest, to the greatest extent. It's also protection in verse 6. The protection that you need, wisdom will guard you. It will protect you from making the wrong decision, the consequences of being in the wrong decision. It's a protection. And then lastly, it's honor. Verse 8, we all want some sense of honor and being valued. And, but the honor that comes from trusting the Lord and receiving the honor that only he gives, it's honor you'll seek because wisdom, the father tells the son, the mother tells the daughter, wisdom will exalt you. Wisdom will honor you. Wisdom will place a beautiful crown on your head. And if we could just take that bottle of juice off the shelf and pour it in a glass and drink it and then go live our lives, we'd be good to go. But remember, the juice comes from the squeezing. It comes from the applying of pressure. It comes from an external pressure upon our lives. What does that process look like? We'll look back, look at the verbs. Let's just, just going through each of the verse. Hear, be attentive. Verse two, do not forsake my teaching. Verse four, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments. Verse five, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget it, do not turn away. Verse 6, do not forsake her. Verse 7, in case you weren't listening, get wisdom. Get insight. Verse 8, prize her highly. Embrace her. Do you see the intensiveness? There's an earnesty. There's an urgency to what the father is telling the son. The father's introduction of the message, the content of the message, the father is saying, this is the most important thing you could pay attention to. You. If you call yourself a disciple of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, if you have made a profession of faith, if you stand before the world and say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm following the Lord, his ordained process of discipleship comes from a very simple process. And it's called the ordinary means of grace. And it's ordinary because at first glance you hear it and you think, oh, but there must be something more. But no, if we actually believe that God is sovereign, Burke Parsons says, 
If we actually believe that God is sovereign, we would trust his sovereignly appointed means to bring about the desired ends. The means that God has appointed for our spiritual nourishment, for our growth in grace, for our perseverance in the faith, that means is the ordinary means of grace, the word, prayer, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and necessarily joined to life in the body of Christ, to discipleship and the care of souls. It's so ordinary. And so many of us are looking for, what's that next thing I need? What's the extra thing I need? And there's no extra thing you need. You need to persevere in the ordinary means of grace. Now see, this leads us to the next very important point. The aspect of the squeezing. Who's doing the squeezing? How, all right, if, if I, what is the thing, uh, you know, my, th- my thinking, what's the thing I need to squeeze to get the wisdom? Let me, I'll squeeze it and then give it to me and then I got it and I could go do what I want to do. What's the thing I need to squeeze? Well, beloved, you're the thing that needs to be squeezed. You need to be squeezed in order for you to get to a place where you need this wisdom. See, if, if, if everything is going all right for you, then guess what? You're in charge. You're the Lord. You're the one that's sovereign. You're the one that's calling the shots. But it's not until, again, go back to the the metaphor of the taking the test. When I am tested, I'm going to find out what kind of juice comes out. I'm going to find out what have I been paying attention to. What's the source of that juice? What's the most important thing that I've been looking at. The basic principle that we find in the Old and New Testaments through all of the scriptures, the basic principle of growth is is summed up in Proverbs chapter 14 verse 4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Right? No, No oxen, the manger is clean, the barn looks spotless, it's wonderful. But guess what? Abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. So there's going to be a bit of a mess in order for you to grow in grace. There's going to be a bit of, it's going to be quite messy if you want to grow in grace. And of course, James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my beloved, when you meet trials of various kinds, for knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, Your faith is going to be tested. You're going to find out where your faith was placed. You're going to find out the source of your faith. But you're also going to get an opportunity to repent and return to the Lord. And there's some examples. I could could go to many, many places in the, the Old and New Testament. But I just want to look in Psalm 2 and Psalm 3. Just the, the very beginning of the book of Psalms. 150 Psalms. And yet the principle that we see in these first couple psalms, we see it in all of the scriptures. Psalm 3. What does David say? O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. How many are my my foes? Now, David had real enemies pursuing him. 
You may not have real people chasing after you, but what you may have are difficulties. What you may have are doubts. What you may have are struggles that are rising up. And, and every Christian has the same enemies. The course of the world, the way the world is constantly running, our sinful nature, the flesh, and the devil. And if you are the Lord's, then you should not be surprised that these enemies are rising up against you. You live in opposition to the kingdom of darkness. But by God's grace, you have greater strength, you have greater hope. What does David do in verse three of Psalm three? He says, but you, O Lord, all these things are true, all these difficulties are true, all of these trials are true, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Why am I looking to so many competitors rather than looking to the promises of God and for him to supply my needs? And then in, verse, uh, in Psalm 4, just jumping to the next psalm, in verse 2, David says, O oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame. David's honor, the honor that he should have been esteemed by those around him, this honor was turned into shame. He was unjustly criticized. He was attacked. How long will you love vain words as he looks at those around him and seek after lies? He wonders that. This is the truth of the situation, of the experience this is the squeezing that David is experiencing, but what does he do? Verse three, but no, he's saying this to himself as much as he's saying to all of those around him, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly one for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David remembers the Lord and therefore he has hope, but that experience, that opportunity doesn't provide itself unless you're in the midst of this squeezing process, unless you're in the midst of the difficulty. See, the Lord is doing the squeezing on his people, but not to torture his people because we know that all things God will work together for the good of those who love him. For those who hate him, it's not going to turn out good. But for those who love him, it will turn out for good. In John's gospel, the gospel according to John, the word father appears far more than any other New Testament book. In fact, ESV counts it as 114. Now, sons practice their father's instruction. As I said, we're all, we're all following somebody. We're all copying somebody else whose words do you practice? Whose words do you value? The eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, valued his Father's words, and he practiced his Father's instruction so that, so that by repentance and faith, we too would find hope. We would experience eternal life. We would be spared from the wrath to come. John's Gospel reveals how the eternally begotten Son of God was at the Father's side, John 1.18. 
and how the Son perfectly reflected the glory of his Father. John's Gospel reveals how Jesus Christ had the Father's insight, life, protection, and honor, those four things we saw in Proverbs chapter 4. Jesus had the, his Father's insight. The Son can do nothing of his own accord, Jesus said. He had his Father's knowledge and wisdom and insight. He had life because he remarked how the Father has life in himself, and he gave the Son that same privilege. The Son has life. The Son was, was protected. The Son had the protection of his heavenly Father because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And yet Jesus didn't die until the point at which he laid down his life for his sheep. His life was not taken from him. He laid it down willingly. He had the Father's protection until that moment that he would lay down his life for his sheep. And then lastly, he had the honor of his Father. He says in John 5, 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. But Jesus also said there was another Father. There was a competing Father figure that was in the world. He told the Jews, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. In other words, what you're doing is revealing who you're trusting. It's revealing the source. And then he said in John 8:42, if God were your father, you would love me, Jesus said. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. The eternal son of God, he valued and practiced his father's instruction so that by faith in the name of Jesus Christ, you would find hope, hope today, hope right now. And you might be thinking, Okay, so all, all that sounds really nice, Pastor Sam. And you know what? When I get the time, I will fix my favorite beverage, maybe a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, maybe something ice cold, and I'll sit in my favorite chair, and I'll sit by the window, and I just, I love to read the Bible. I love to read about it. And, I, and just take some time. But, you know, I don't always have the time because sometimes, you know, my life is so busy. I just, I have so many things to do and so many demands and so many people that are asking me to do this and do that. So, you know, when I get time, I enjoy the Bible. It's great. But I got a lot of things to do. You see, there's a problem. There's a problem with that mindset. That kind of mindset lacks the urgency and the expectancy that we saw in Proverbs chapter 4. That need to gain wisdom, to gain understanding, to gain insight. The father went on and on. And you might think, oh, that was just incredibly repetitive. But he's pushing it because the point is there. And if you miss it, you miss eternity. You see, as, as clear as this line is right down the middle of the sanctuary, Proverbs chapter 4, as well as all the scriptures, draw a very straight and bright line between life and death, between blessing and curse. And we have that choice before us every single day. 
The Apostle Paul tells the church in Ephesus, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, he says, therefore, in, in light of everything I've talked about, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Now, if you happen to have your planner or your day timer, or if, you, if on your phone you have an app that you use for your calendar and you, you put all of your events in there, you put all of your tasks, all of your to-do lists, I want you to take a look at that planner, at that calendar, at that day timer. I want you to look carefully today and in the coming days and in the coming weeks. I want you to scan and if you've got an app on your phone, you could just bring up the little hourglass or the little, uh, little glass that makes things bigger, the, the search function, whatever that search function is. You, could, you can type in these three words because I want you to look for an event on your calendar. These three words are the evil day. I want you to search for the evil day. Because the Apostle Paul said, you're going to need the armor of God in prayer to withstand the evil day. You're going to need the wisdom of God and the insight to withstand in the evil day. You're going to need the Lord God as your only source of wisdom and knowledge and help to withstand in the evil day. Because if you look on your calendars, you're not going to find a meeting called the evil day. But I promise you, it's coming if you're not already in the midst of it. I promise you, you will have adversity that you never imagined you would face. And the Lord says, how do you prepare for it? In Proverbs chapter 4 tells us, hear the daily, ordinary means of grace, hearing the word of God, being attentive to the word of God, letting your heart hold fast to his words, keeping his commandments so that you would live, not forsaking them, not getting distracted with all of the other competitors in the world, prizing wisdom highly, prizing your relationship with the Lord. He's inviting you to grow in maturity to grow up into resembling the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge comes from reading the word of God. Some of us have just read it too much, but we're not gaining anything. We're not practicing it. We're not putting it into practice. But the opportunities come when you get squeezed. When you get squeezed. That's the true opportunity. That's the test to see did I prepare well? Or do I need to go back and do some more studying? It's our opportunity to return, to repent, and to trust the Lord yet again. Please pray with me. Our God and Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, you have made yourself so utterly clear. And yet, Father, some of us spend so much energy and time and effort in so many other things. You have given us your word, Father. We have the privilege that no other generation has had as far as access to the word of God.
and the clarity that you speak and that your God is on every single page. So Lord, let us not learn about the word of God, but let us feed upon the word of God to draw near to you by faith, to grab hold of your promises and to see, Lord, that you will provide abundantly above all that we ask or think. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and we'll